Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. On Friday, President Donald Trump signed an executive order suspending refugee admissions for 120 days, placing an indefinite ban on immigrants from Syria and a 90-day ban on people from Iraq, Iran, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and Yemen. We're going to talk about this today on the program. According to Deseret News, Utah Republican Party Chairman James Evans emphasized on Monday that the order comes as no surprise, it's not permanent, and is supported by 57% of Americans, according to a Rasmussen Reports poll. Mr. Evans also says that instead of an emotional gut reaction to the order, Americans should be discussing the reasons the order is needed in the first place. Also, according to Deseret News, Catholic Community Services in Salt Lake City uh, had resettlement for as many as 40 refugees in the pipeline. Aidan Batar, Catholic Community Services Director of Immigration and Refugee Settlement, says that job offers arranged for those refugees will be taken back, payments on their housing will be lost, family members awaiting them in Utah will be left in limbo. Batar goes on to say that closing the country's doors to refugees is a mistake and that, uh, quote, they're not the enemy. The refugees themselves have been victimized by terrorist groups around the world, and if we don't let them in, people are going to die every day. We'll also be talking this hour with University of Utah history professor Paul Reeve. His recent op-ed piece in the Desert News is titled, Trump's Muslim Ban Looks Like a Mormon Ban. We want to know what you think. We're opening the phone lines at 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. You could comment by email as well, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. Later in this hour, we'll have a representative from ACLU, Utah. We'll be talking with Utah Republican Party Chairman James Evans and uh, with uh, University of Utah College of Law Professor Amos Giora, a counterterrorism expert. We'll also be talking with Paul Reeve, as I mentioned, from the History Department at University of Utah. Right now, we bring on uh, Jim McConkie with the Refugee Justice uh, League. Mr. McConkie, welcome to the program. Thank you. I appreciate uh, the offer. Uh, tell us what the Refugee Justice League is. Uh, the Refugee Justice League is a group of attorneys in Utah who, on a pro bono or free basis, have band together to represent refugees in our state if they have been discriminated against on the basis of ethnicity, national origin, or religion. It started about a month ago. It, it grew very rapidly. There was a very generous response in the legal community. And we have lawyers virtually from all of the major firms in the state of Utah who have band together. And not only did they want to protect refugee constitutional rights, but they also want to send a message to the community of refugees that they're welcome in Utah. What do you think the message is with the president's executive order? I think the message is that they're not welcome. Hmm. And it's important, therefore, for those of us who are trying to help the situation, help refugees feel secure uh, in this country, that we express our, uh, our we express our that they're welcome here. Hmm. Uh, what do you about what do you think about the balance between uh, security? This is what President Trump is uh, putting forward. The reason for this, he's, he emphasizes, it's temporary. And he says we need to do this to, uh, to, keep a, to keep us safe. Well, I think it's a straw man <clears throat> argument. I, I think there is already a form of extreme vetting that's taking place. And so if, if we already have in place procedures that are protecting us from violence, which we all want, including refugees who settle here, 
if if that system is already uh, doing its job, then it's really not necessary to stop all refugees for coming into the country for 120 days and to uh, stop everyone from coming into the country if they're from one of seven targeted uh, countries. For example, uh, the Syrian vetting process is very, very tight. And uh, since the war began in 2011, the United States has only accepted 2,200 refugees from Syria. And uh, there 11 million people in Syria have been uh, displaced. And so it's not as though there are floodgates of refugees coming in from countries where we might have security concerns. For example, it takes 18 to 24 months for a Syrian refugee to be considered and checked. Only 2% of those that came in are young men of, of combat age. They tend to take families, vulnerable women, children, the elderly, those who may be tortured, those who need sophisticated medical treatment. And then in addition, they go through extensive background checks. And so while we might tweak it here and there, uh, it is a very tight screening process. We're talking, uh, if you just joined us, with Jim McConkie from the Refugee Justice League. Uh, coming up, we'll be talking with representatives from the ACLU, uh, with uh, Utah Republican Party Chairman uh, James Evans, and a couple of University of Utah law professors, or professors, rather, law professor Amos Giora and uh, Paul Reeve, who's in the History Department. Uh, so, uh, Jim McConkie, uh, uh, have... We, we've read about uh, lawyers at, at airports rushing to airports to, to help with the confusion of uh, lawyers from your organization been doing that? Well, we put out a call uh, the other day, and we had about 15 of our lawyers on standby, and that hasn't been necessary at this point. We, we don't know of any uh, refugees that have been stopped at the airport, but we were ready to go out and do what we could to represent them and intervene on their behalf. But we haven't had that problem yet. Mm. That seems to be a problem mostly in the larger international airports, Boston, New York, Los Angeles. Mm. I wonder if you'd help us understand this from a from a you know, refugee's point of view. Uh, you're you're trying to trying to help refugees. Uh, I, I'm curious. First, uh, you say the the Refugee Justice League st- started uh, operating what about a month ago? About a month ago, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what what types of uh, what types of cases, what types of problems are you helping people with then? And then, and then maybe now. Okay, we we're, we're finding a couple of interesting things. One of the one of our primary concerns and, and complaints that we're receiving from the refugee community is harassment based on religion in the public school system. And so, in some of the public schools, not all certainly, but in some, we have instances of girls whose headscarves have been pulled off, and they've been teased and and isolated from. The, from their friends and from those who don't consider themselves friendly. And so here you have a situation where a public school needs to be careful because the state, of course, can't favor or not favor any particular religion. And our approach has been in these situations to try and solve the problem at the lowest level of intervention. In other words, with a letter, by representing a family, if they, uh, with the principal, uh, or with other school authorities to try and solve the problem uh, at the lowest level. And, of course, if that doesn't work, then we always have uh, litigation, but that's 
something we try and avoid, although we'll just have to see how, how things go in the future. So that's one where we've had um, issues. We've also had issues where we think that landlords have treated uh, refugees unfairly by requiring huge um, penalties if they want to move. For example, we are working on a case where a, a, a refugee in a housing development, her children were uh, attacked and uh, serious injuries, and they want to move to a safer area. There, there has been some gang violence perpetrated on the family, and they can't because they face a three to four thousand dollar penalty if they move to a safer area. And of course, they don't have that kind of uh, cash. And so these are the, these are a couple of the couple of examples of what's going on. Do you think has there uh, does that represent an increase from from before? And 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 if so, um, do it, to what do you attribute that? Well, I don't. Uh, we we don't have precise figures on this, but we do know that uh, throughout the United States in the last month or so, these kinds of uh, hate uh, crimes. Uh, we know that hate crimes have been on the increase. We know that there have been more. Uh, there have been more difficulty uh, with refugees being harassed, uh, yelled at on the street, these kinds of things. We've seen it on the national news. So we know it's on the uptick. It's difficult to know exactly uh, how much, but there's clearly been an increase nationally, and there's been an increase in Utah as well. I wonder uh, if I could get you to respond to a couple of arguments put forward. I've been reading from the National Review, and their their headline says, "Let's hey, let's let's get beyond hysteria about this." They're de- they're defending essentially uh, President Trump's uh, order. Uh, the the first point is that uh, President Obama ramped up um, uh, admissions of refugees, but if we go back to uh, say George W. Bush era, uh, the, the, the Trump's fifty thousand. Um, uh, number uh, is is roughly comparable uh, to to that. So we're just going back to, uh, you know, uh, a level that has been there before. Well, well, let's let's go back to the Syrians because this is the one that is of most concern because of the violence and the opportunity for someone who has ill intent against the United States to, to disguise themselves as a as a uh, refugee and then come into the country. The United States is not really keeping up with Europe on this. We have, for example, in Syria, 85,000 refugees from around the world that are trying to settle in in other countries because their lives are literally in danger. And as I said, we've only taken 2,200. And so we're really not, I don't think, pulling our weight in the world community in terms of welcoming refugees. I understand that there are reasons for that, and I understand that they that we need to be careful. But to just kind of contrast this, I'm a, I'm a little older, and so I remember the Vietnam War a little better than some of the others. But at the height of the Vietnam War, for example, the United States was taking 200,000 refugees uh, and displaced persons from Vietnam in a year. And so uh, we really are just, we in, in fact, we just have a trickle of refugees coming in. So the problem isn't, keeping them out. The problem is helping them come in. And Obama, of course, said, well, we'll try and get 100,000 
this year, and now it's being cut back to, to what seems to be being cut back to 50,000. So I think it's a fact issue. Is there a real problem? Are we vetting? And if there isn't a real problem, if we're safe, we haven't had violence, and if we're bringing a few in now and we're doing a good job vetting and the vetting really doesn't need to be tightened, then it's a political issue. It's not a, an issue in the real world that has a dramatic effect on us. Uh, we're hearing reports that, uh, even though this is characterized as a temporary ban, that this this does disrupt the, the pipeline. If, if a refugee has done their paperwork and, and, and is in the pipeline, that this... Totally disrupts that, does it? He, well, yes. It does. I mean, you, all refugees stop uh, for 120 days. Uh, we hope that will be the end of it. But for example, in the state of Utah, we've had 68 foreign students at the University of Utah affected. I noticed that in the paper uh, this morning. There were 105 that were expected in February. They won't be coming in. And so, yes, it has a real effect. There won't be any refugees settling here. We've heard on the news uh, about apartments that have been set up with furniture and with family here to welcome relatives who are coming from war-torn areas of the world where their lives are in jeopardy, and they won't be coming here for the next 120 days. And then, just as a practical matter, anyone from those seven countries, Iraq, Syria, Iran, Sudan, Libya, Somalia, and Yemen, anyone from those countries are just completely banned, regardless of whether they are halfway to the United States, apparently, because some of them have been turned back. And some of these people, as we know, have been friends and helpful to the military in conflict situations. So it's, a, it's not an order that's well-tailored to... Uh, it isn't an order that when, it, when the rubber meets the road that it's really fair. I want to read uh, just a portion of a, a letter sent out to Utah State University community from uh, the President, uh, Noel Cockett. Uh, she says, we at Utah State University care deeply about our international students, faculty, and staff. We're committed to promoting diversity and inclusiveness on our campuses. The talent, perspective, and culture of our international students, faculty, staff uh, strengthen and enrich our teaching, research, and outreach uh, programs. We're deeply concerned about members of the university community who may be impacted by the recent executive order. And uh, they go on to uh, talk about the monitor situation and uh, that uh, students, visiting scholars, faculty, and staff with questions should uh, uh, visit the appropriate offices. This, uh, this idea, this, these principles of diversity and inclusiveness, um, that's the higher-level debate here, uh, isn't it? Yes, that is the higher-level debate. And you know, it, it takes us back, at least in Utah, when we talk about this, to our own roots when uh, Mormons were excluded from the community because of what others considered strange religious beliefs. And so in our own community, that, that is, a, I think, an idea that rings true and has real merit uh, in our own culture and our, in our own cultural history. And what, you know, one of the things that we have noticed that was a little bit, I guess it shouldn't have been surprising, but as you actually start to try and help refugees, is that because they come from authoritarian countries, they're very, very reticent to ask for help. And when you go to help them, their concern is that if they make any waves, any type and kind of a ripple, that the secret police will just pick them up, and that's the end of it. Because that's the experience they've had in their own countries. 
And so one of the things that we all need to do is to reach out to them and assure them that that's not the kind of situation that they're living in here. And part of the emphasis of our group is becoming an educational effort to go out to the mosques to speak to refugee groups and to help them understand that they live in a country where laws take precedence over the whims of dictatorial leaders. And so that's been a problem, and I I think it's something we all need to do. We need to affirmatively, not just stand back, but affirmatively make efforts to welcome this community into our own culture. Well, thank you very much. Jim McConkie with the Refugee Justice League. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Oh, nice to be with you today, Tom. Uh, well, I hope we can talk again soon. Okay. All right. Thank you, Jim McConkie. Uh, coming up, we'll be uh, talking with a couple of uh, University of Utah law professors, uh, Amos Giora and uh, Paul Reeve. Uh, and right now, uh, we have with us, uh, pleased to welcome in uh, Utah Republican Party Chairman James Evans. Uh, Mr. Evans, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on, and, and forgive my voice. I'm trying to get over a cold. Oh, uh, well, uh, get well soon. Um, so uh, you're quoting the Desert News as uh, saying that instead of emotional gut reaction to this uh, executive order from President Obama or President uh, Trump, excuse me, uh, Americans should be discussing the reasons the order is needed in the first place. Uh, so that's uh, where I'd like to start with you. What, what, why do you think the reason the order is needed in the first place? Well, from the seven countries that were identified, by the way, which were identified by Congress and the Obama administration, is because there's uncertainty on um, the vetting of who's coming from those countries. So it has more to do with the fact that there, there's, there's um, question marks around, is this really John Smith is coming over or, or not? So 46, um, well, you had seven countries identified. They happened to be majority, uh, majority Muslim nations. But at the same time, you had 46 other majority Muslim nations that are not on the list. It's because there is a, I think, greater degree of um, uh, belief that we can scrutinize who's coming from those other countries. So the real question is about this, the development of those nations with respect to their um, relationship with the United States, and are we getting accurate information, or have they been compromised in such a way that anyone can infiltrate from those countries and come over to the United States. So the bottom line is, is this is about America's security first. And I would like to see more of those who are, who are protesting, who are against this order to, for once, be more sympathetic to the fact that we're in a new dynamic now in this nation where we have threats we have never seen before. And there are those, frankly, bent on trying to undermine and destroy our way of life. That's just the bottom line. So this is a, you see this as a, uh, a culture clash writ large with, with dangerous implications then? has nothing to do with culture. If it had something to do with culture, 46 other nations probably would have been on the list. It has to do with the fact that we're uncertain on who's actually coming from those seven identified nations. Mm. Uh, so, uh, my understanding is that the, uh, the the current vetting process is is pretty um, you know, pretty robust. You're, uh, uh, so you're saying that it's not uh, robust enough. I'm saying that this new administration has identified, based on information given to them by Congress and the Obama administration, have identified these seven nations as nations where there's concern about the veracity of the information being conveyed to the American government 
with respect to the people coming from those nations. Now, if people choose to just ignore that and just say, we want to go off of our feelings, we're more concerned about the immediate need of those who are coming, then we just have to respectfully disagree on that. Mm. I happen to side on the fact that our new president, relying on information from Congress and the former president, saying that these seven nations, there is a question mark with respect to the veracity of information uh, coming to our administration or our, our respective uh, agencies regarding those who are coming over. It has nothing to do with a value placed on those individuals. It has to do with the fact that we have a right as a nation to know who's entering our borders. What about uh, long term? This is uh, except for the Syrian situation. This is these are temporary uh, bans, right? So, what would you would you like to see uh, refugee settlement levels at uh, current rates reduced, uh, increased? What uh, What do you think? Well, the problem I think with this whole discussion is you have the media, and even in, in your question is the indictment that this has something to do with refugees. It doesn't matter whether it's a refugee or anyone else. It has to do with the fact that are we in control of knowing who's entering our country, whether you're a business person, whether you're a refugee, no matter who you are. And that's what this is about. And unfortunately, the narrative is about the refugee aspect and not in the fact that we want to know with certainty um, if individuals have been properly vetted and if they are who they say they are based on assurances given by those respective governments. And that's where the concern is with respect to those, the governments of those countries. Hmm. The, well, the, the focus has been on refugees, and, you know, in part because uh, people are, are marching, uh, you know. But uh, the LDS Church, for example, issued a, a statement uh, of concern for refugees. Uh, many LDS people in, in your party, what would you, how would you have them uh, score, score those two? I well, I'll just say what I just said. Um, they're focusing on the impact of a particular group, which we can all be sympathetic towards. But the order from uh, President Trump has to do with the fact that these nations are not reliable. Those seven identified nations are not reliable in the information that they're conveying with respect to those who are coming over. Yes, it's disproportionately impacting those under the status of refugee, but this is beyond that. Now, um, we know how it generally works in the media. You find an emotive uh, narrative, and you run with it. This is about the, the security of our nation. And the uh, Rasmussen poll that was released, uh, the American people get it. 57% of Americans say a temporary ban they will support until we can figure out better how to identify those who are coming in from those identified nations. And frankly, I think the media is missing the mark once again because they're focusing in on the fact that, yes, it's impacting refugees, but for once in our life, can we be a little bit more concerned about the health, the well-being, and the safety of our nation so that in the long term we will be better positioned to help those in need? Let me ask you about uh, about protection of uh, of the nation. Um, what else do you think needs to be done? Do you you're, are you supportive of uh, President Trump's plan to build the wall? Uh, what other measures? Yeah, I support building the wall with respect to making sure that we can secure our borders. I know that there are globalists that listen to your station that could care less about a border, um, but happen you know the only way you can have a nation is to have an abort uh, an identified set of boundaries so at the end of the day 
I would just offer you this. Are you okay with anyone just showing up in our nation unverified, unchecked, no borders that you can just go and come as you please? Do you support that or not? Uh, yeah, we'll throw that question out to out to listeners. Um, uh, um, and what about uh, uh, you know further on this? Do you uh, what do you think uh, needs to be done about um, uh, illegal immigrants currently in the country? Well, illegal immigrants that are currently in the country are in okay. two categories. Uh, approximately forty plus percent are those who came over with a valid. Uh, visa who are currently out of status, meaning that they just simply uh, did not honor the requirements of that visa. If they were on here on a vacation or a student visa, and they were supposed to leave by X date, and they chose to stay, that's considered out of status. And then you have those who simply have come across the border um, illegally that are in the country. Now, even based on President Trump, those who are in the country out of status or here, you know, um, illegally uh, by entering the country uh, without permission, uh, that discussion will have to be had with respect to um, how do we address those concerns, especially if they came over as children or if they've been otherwise law-abiding, how do we then regularize uh, that community of people? And that's a separate discussion from the fact that now we're talking about from this day forth trying to basically regain control of our borders and make sure that we know who's in this country. So that discussion needs to be had, but first things first, which is how about we secure our borders first, then have an accounting of who's in our nation, and then start the questions of, and, um, and debate about, now, what do we do with those who are currently here? Given the tradition of our nation, we have always been one of accommodation, but we can't even get to that discussion because we can't fix first things first, which is securing our borders. Uh, Utah Republican Party Chairman James Evans uh, has joined us. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me on. And uh, let's uh, take a brief break. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking with uh, Anna Thomas from ACLU Utah. Uh, still to come, we'll be talking with uh, University of Utah law professor Amos Giora and uh, Paul Reeve, who's a history professor at uh, University of Utah. We're talking about President uh, Trump's executive order, uh, suspending refugee admissions for 120 days, uh, placing an indefinite ban on immigrants from Syria, and a 90-day ban on people from Iraq, Iran, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and Yemen. We want to know what you think. You can reach us at upraxcess at gmail.com or call us at 800 826 1495. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Utah Humanities, empowering Utahns to improve their communities through active engagement. Online at utahumanities.org. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and USU Partners in Business Data Analytics Conference, Stay Dynamic, Stay Ahead, offering various levels of tracks and sessions in data analytics. Thursday, February 16th at the USU Eccles Conference Center. Details at partners.usu.edu. Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and AARP Utah, a nonpartisan social change organization with a membership helping people 50 and over improve their lives by providing information, events, and advocacy on key issues. More information is available at aarp.org. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We are talking about President Trump's executive order on immigration and refugees. 
and uh, we want to know what you think. Uh, you can reach us at 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. We bring in now Anna Thomas uh, with the ACLU of uh, Utah. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Tom. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on the on the show. You bet. Uh, what's ACLU's uh, position on, on the executive order? Which executive order exactly? Uh, the, the, We've had a lot. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we have. Uh, we're talking specifically about the the one suspending refugee admissions for 120 days, uh, etc. Okay, just wanted to be clear. I heard you talking about mm-hmm. immigration earlier. Wanted to be sure that we were talking about the refugee ban. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, with our litigation this weekend, we are opposed to this ban. We feel that it violates a lot of key constitutional tenets, and we're very concerned about the message it sends to people who um, are coming here to seek refuge from other more difficult parts of the world. And we're going to continue pushing back hard against, against this ban. I don't know if you were able to hear part of my conversation with Utah Republican Party Chairman James Evans. Uh, he's he, he's uh, saying that uh, while concerned with refugees, uh, at long last, can we not put America first and security at the forefront? Uh, do you, uh, I assume you disagree with that. Well, it's interesting. You know, I did hear a part of that, and it made me think of one of our clients who we represented over the weekend who was detained for hours at John F. Kennedy Airport, um, Hamid Darwish, and he is actually, um, he worked as an interpreter for the Army's 101st Airborne Division and was a, was a platoon leader in Iraq. He saved U.S. service members' lives. He and his family, um, their lives were in danger in Iraq because of their support for U.S. troops. And they've actually already undergone a three-year vetting process to ensure that he and his family can come and safely live in the United States. Um, I am a little confused as to how targeting people like Mr. Darwish improves our border security. There's already really strong vetting of individuals from these countries, and um, I just don't actually see this as playing into sort of any actual public safety measure. I think uh, supporters of the president's executive order would say that uh, this is unfortunate. We're sorry that, uh, you know, people like Mr. Darish are, are, are being uh, caught up in this. But, uh, you know, if we uh, if this makes it more likely that we save one American life, then uh, then it's worth it. Well, I don't agree with the with how security and civil liberties often are described as competing somehow. Um, The ACLU's position is that both can always be satisfied. And I would caution people, if, if we start to undertake actions like this that severely compromise our civil liberties, it starts with somebody like Mr. Darwish being caught up um, not unfortunately, but unconstitutionally in these sweeps. And that trickles down and erodes our, the civil liberties of other individuals as well. Uh, Chairman Evans and others are uh, uh, forcefully pushing back on I- an idea that's been characterized by others that this is a Muslim ban. It, in your mind, is this a Muslim ban? Yep. We feel that this is a very thinly veiled attack on people based on their religion and country of origin. And those are two categories 
of individuals that uh, the U.S. has historically not been in favor of discriminating against. Uh, let's go to a couple of emails. Uh, first up is, and by the way, you can email us. We'd love to know what you think about the president's executive order. We're talking about this uh, one that uh, deals with uh, with intake of uh, refugees. Um, I guess you could talk about the other executive orders as well. It's, it's been a flood of them, um, but specifically on refugees and immigration today. Uh, this is uh, Carl. Carl has emailed us. By the way, the place to go is upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Carl says, the odds of getting killed by a terrorist is pretty low compared to the odds of getting shot by a random gun violence. So if they're so concerned about American safety, why don't they do something about gun violence? What hypocrites, says uh, Carl. Uh, what do you think, Anna Thomas? Uh, strong words. I think he, Carl brings up a good point in that there are definitely areas of public safety and public security that are much more urgent than people who are fleeing from war-torn countries and other horrible situations abroad. The people who come here as refugees are actually, they tend to be fleeing persecution and fleeing all of the negative consequences uh, that we see from terrorism abroad. And so I think his, his point is an excellent one. I feel like there are definitely better places where we could put um, our energy and our tax dollars than passing these executive orders that maybe make people feel as though something is being accomplished um, when, in fact, there's no real benefit to public safety while there is real measurable <laughs> diminishment of our civil liberties. Mm. And uh, this email, uh, I'll just read part of this uh, because the writer uh, goes off onto a different subject, But the and the facts are a little confused. Um, this is Warren. He says, uh, Jimmy Carter signed the Walter McCarran Act of 1952, which preempted Trump by a few years. Uh, so if you leave Jimmy Carter out of it, who was definitely not president in 1952, uh, the Walter McCarran Act... Then he says, Google it. You'll find out. So I did Google it. The Immigration and Nationality Act of 1952, which uh, apparently restricted immigration into the U.S. I guess he's, uh, uh, Warren is pointing out that uh, it, there have been times when we did restrict uh, immigration. I guess by extension, the argument we have restricted uh, refugee uh, access. Um, I don't know if anything you want to say on that, Anna Thomas. I am not an immigration or refugee expert, that is for sure, not in the law and not in the history. I think that the, you know, the important thing to consider along with those sort of arguments is that the United States is a shining beacon to other countries, and part of that is the fact that we welcome people from different nations and different backgrounds and ensure that they can join our communities here. Um, I would also point out that historically we've targeted people on based on country of origin and religion in the past. Um, at the state level, Mormons have been targeted in their history. My ancestors uh, crossing over to Utah to settle here. And then also, you know, in the name of national security, we forced American citizens of Japanese descent to lose their property, lose their jobs, lose um, their place in the community while they were put in internment camps, mm. all in the name of public security, public safety. So I think that we always have to look back on our history and consider how we feel about those things now and how is it different today, what we are doing. Uh, Anna Thomas with the ACLU of Utah has joined us. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. 
Thanks for addressing these really important issues, Tom. I appreciate being with you. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Uh, Before we go to Amos Giora from University of Utah Law School, I want to just uh, give this follow-up to uh, what Warren pointed out, the Immigration Nationality Act of 1952. uh, President Truman vetoed that act, and I want to read just a portion of what he said. He said, we do not need to be protected against immigrants from these countries. On the contrary, we want to stretch out a helping hand to save those who have managed to flee into Western Europe to succor those who are brave enough to escape from barbarism. Welcome and restore them against the day when their countries will, as we hope to be free again. That's President Truman from 1952 vetoing the Walter McCarran Act. Uh, we turn uh, next uh, to Amos Giora, who is a professor in the College of Law at the University of Utah, expert on counterterrorism, among other uh, topics. Uh, professor Giora, uh, thanks for taking the time to be with us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, I want to uh, jump in, uh, since you are an expert on uh, counterterrorism, uh, a key question, uh, the president's recent executive order. Uh, will you think this make us more or less safe? I don't see any way that this um, executive order makes America safer. I think, if anything, it uh, provides for ISIS and other related groups a pretty easy recruiting poster. It, from their perspective, reaffirms, confirms how they perceive the United States, how they, quote, sell the United States. And I think in the long run, or perhaps both in the short run, I fail to see how this act in any way enhances American national security. So you see this as uh, not uh, effective in, in national security, but but uh, in, in sending the message that this would, this will be a recruiting tool. I want to get to the uh, the vetting that's currently happening. My understanding is it's pretty robust. Um, President President uh, Trump apparently is disagreeing that we need to study this and and, and ramp up the vetting. I understand um, from a good friend of mine who is in the State Department. Obviously, needs to go unnamed. Who tells me that the the vetting process is beyond robust? Perhaps a better word is rigorous and robust, and it takes a number of years before you before you pass through all or jump through all the hoops. And for the president to use this term "extreme vetting," which is a term of art, which I don't really understand what it means. Indeed, as you suggest, from his perspective, indicates that he thinks the process is not rigorous, robust. And that is absolutely counter from what I hear from those who actually are involved in the process. Hmm. Uh, did, this is being characterized by some as a Muslim ban. I want to know what, what you think, and then I, I think this is implicit in, in your characterization. This will this will make a, a recruiting poster that that uh, at least ISIS and other groups will will portray it as such. I think it's one hundred percent a Muslim ban. I think a ban. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think that. Um, Naming the seven countries, by the way, we could have a conversation about the countries not named, particularly um, Saudi Arabia, whose nationals have clearly committed acts of terrorism in the United States, obviously. Um, But I don't think there's any doubt that this is a Muslim ban. And if one thinks about President Trump as candidate Trump, he made it very clear that he viewed Islam or extreme, I don't know if he's differentiated between Islam and extreme Islam, but this ban is clearly about uh, preventing Muslims from coming to the United States. And again, from a from a national security slash civil rights slash due process perspective, um, you know, I wasn't alive in 1942 when President Roosevelt signed the executive order um, creating the internment camps for 140,000 Japanese Americans. 
But that was an executive order, which obviously was upheld by Korematsu, by the Supreme Court. This is an executive order. One can draw problematic and troubling links between the two in terms of executive power, unfettered executive power, and the absolute identifying of a particular ethnic group for no reason. That's not to say that there aren't Muslims who are terrorists, but nowhere has anybody made the claim that all Muslims are terrorists, and that's exactly what this ban, in essence, is is implying. I think that's one of the reasons that I think many of us are so deeply distressed by it. I do want to talk about the the, the other countries. The, the argument put forward uh, against the idea that this is a Muslim ban is is uh, that there are, you know, I don't know how many countries, but uh, many many countries are uh, majority Muslim that are not included uh, in this ban. What do you say to that? I think that it, maybe I should have said at the beginning. And I apologize for not saying so. Um, my family immigrated to the United States when I was six from Israel, and I understand, you know, the, the, as being the son of immigrants and, and the, the, the greatness of coming to America. I totally understand that. There are indeed people who want to come to the United States who are bad people, who are potentially harmful to the United States. And it's absolutely, the, the, it's legitimate that the, the role of the sovereign and the obligation of the sovereign is to protect us from them. Absolutely every country does that. But the, the, the suggestion or the idea of banning an entire group, an ethnic group, because of their ethnicity, or in this case, their religion, um, is, again, not to repeat, I apologize, but it's mm. deeply distressing. Mm. But we also need to be honest. I've seen commentators suggest that this is the first time that um, American policy has been difficult or problematic with respect to immigrant groups. That's not correct. Um, America has a, a trouble or problematic history with respect to immigrant groups. One thinks about Roosevelt not allowing the Jews in and trying to escape the Holocaust, um, um, barriers to other immigrant groups. It's, this is not the first time, but at the moment, this is indeed the situation we're facing. I want to uh, change the subject slightly, um, although it's still within the scope of the subject we're talking about. That is uh, the the idea of overall counterterrorism. Uh, first, uh, candidate Trump, and I think President Trump, has uh, expressed approval for the, for the idea of, of torture. As, a, as an effective means of, of counterterrorism. Uh, what do you think? So, I was involved for, before coming to the University of Utah. I served for 20 years in Israel Defense Forces, where I was involved for 20 years in, in the legal and policy aspects of operational counterterrorism. That's important to the next statement. From my perspective, as someone who has had a seat at the table of counterterrorism, torture is illegal, torture is immoral, and torture is ultimately ineffective. And I, I'm well aware of the fact that candidate Trump slash President Trump has uh, suggested otherwise. I think if you were to have a conversation with, with people in the national security community who have been involved in interrogations, the overwhelming majority will tell you that, that torture, it just doesn't work. The, the individual being tortured will uh, tell you what he thinks you want to hear. That's disinformation, misinformation, wrong information. And for the president to suggest the possibility of of re-implementing the torture regime, which the Bush administration implemented in the aftermath of 9-11, from my perspective, is is not only harmful in terms, again, of this illegality, immorality, I think the, the, quote, unquote, the blowback in terms of potential harm to Americans who are serving overseas 
is, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I understand that Trump talks about this. I understand X percentage of the, of the population um, it jumps on that bandwagon. But again, anybody who's been involved in this will tell you, or the open world, overwhelming majority of us who've been involved will tell you that, that torture is is absolute. It's a no, a very stark N and a very stark O. Hmm. What uh, what are effective methods of you you know to, to tick off the, the the top principles that you would if you were advising President Trump? What uh, how would you advise him to go about uh, uh, counterterrorism? To right to interrogate or counterterrorism? Yeah, counterterrorism. Counterterrorism, again, based on my my significant experience in this, is based on what I call person specific counterterrorism. You need to be able to identify the person who is posing an imminent threat. I'm a supporter of what we in Israel call targeted killing, which here is called the drone policy, but only when the threat is imminent, when there are no alternatives, and you've made um, reasonable efforts to minimize collateral damage, the killing of innocent people. The nation state has the, has the right to engage in self-defense. Nobody's denying that. Counterterrorism, from my perspective, is the implementation, the lawful implementation of self-defense. And the question is, how do you go about doing that? And it's not about cliches and it's not mantras. It's gathering intelligence. It's understanding intelligence. It's penetrating the, the groups of the other side. It requires understanding their culture, understanding their language, and indeed identifying those responsible for potential acts of terrorism. And if need be, um, killing them before they kill us. And that's that's very much legitimate, provided that it's narrowly applied, narrowly defined, and narrowly implemented. Well, we uh, we've reached the end of our, our time. Uh, Amos Giora is uh, professor of law at uh, University of Utah, counterterrorism expert. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Let's take a brief break. When we come back, uh, we'll be talking uh, finally with Paul Reeve. He's a professor and director of graduate studies in the history department at University of Utah. More following this. Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio was made possible in part by our listeners and the USU Provost's Office Center for Women and Gender, promoting discussion and research on gender issues and the intersection of social justice and culture. Information at cwg.usu.edu. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We are uh, talking about President Trump's recent uh, executive order. As Anna Thomas pointed out, uh, which order? Uh, he's been signing a lot of them. This one suspends refugee admissions for 120 days, places an indefinite ban on immigrants from Syria, and a 90-day ban on people from Iraq, Iran, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and Yemen. And we thank our previous guest, Jim McConkie with Re- Refugee Justice League, Anna Thomas from the ACLU, Utah Republican Party Chairman James Evans, and we just talked with University of Utah Law Professor Amos Giora. And uh, now we bring in Paul Reeve, who is Professor and Director of Graduate Studies in the History Department at the University of uh, Utah. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you, Tom. Good to be with you. And we talked previously on your uh, book, Religion of a Different Color, very interesting uh, book. Um, so welcome back to the program. Uh, you uh, you had a, a, an op-ed piece in the uh, Deseret News uh, recently comparing this uh, action uh, to uh, uh, the 1870s. You, you just picked an 1879 editorial from the Deseret News responding to U.S. Secretary of State William Everett's effort to prevent Mormons from emigrating to the United States. Uh, d- talk a little bit about uh, the, the parallels. 
Yes, that's right. So uh, the Rutherford uh, B. Hayes administration was interested in attempting to uh, ban Mormons from immigrating to the United States and had concluded that Mormons were uh, illegal uh, or that they were lawbreakers in terms of uh, practicing polygamy. And so it was designed as a preemptive strike uh, that they would prevent Mormons from immigrating and then joining uh, polygamous families in Utah and becoming lawbreakers. And so there was an effort uh, orchestrated by the U.S. Sec uh, Secretary of State to uh, attempt to ban Mormons from immigrating from Europe. And there was a, a directive sent to U.S. ambassadors and consuls throughout Europe uh, advising them to prevent Mormon immigrants from coming to the U.S. Uh, and you have a uh, you have a series of statements. This I found this very interesting. A series of statements that you identify. Some of these are from the 21st century, and some of these are from the 19th century. I'll just read a, a few of these. Uh, I will not back off until we solve the problem of this illegal invasion. Nine tenths of the inhabitants are in aliens by birth who have refused to become naturalized or take the oath of allegiance. These are people that shouldn't be in our country. They flow in like water. We shall expect your cooperation and assistance in expelling the fanatics who are mostly aliens by birth and aliens in principle from the country. And I could go on with with others. Uh, a couple of these uh, give themselves away because they're recent from President Trump or candidate Trump. Um, and and you reveal that you're just alternating 21st century and 19th century um, uh, rhetoric. Yes, that's right. So I've I've obviously paid attention to the current political climate and just found it really interesting, the nature of the rhetoric being leveled against uh, immigrants from Mexico or Muslim immigrants uh, coming into the U.S. And it just sounded like an echo from the past. Uh, it's an exercise I, I do with my students in class where I ask them to guess where does this quote come from, 19th century or 21st century, and uh, they can't distinguish. Obviously, uh, uh, a lot of them guess that it's from Trump in the 21st century, but uh, a lot of those guesses are for statements made in the 19th century against Mormons. Let me uh, get this uh, email in. By the way, we'd love to get your perspective at upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. We're talking with Paul Reeve from uh, University of Utah History Department. Uh, here's Doug's uh, comment. He says, President Trump's defenders are once again blaming the media for, quote-unquote, distorting the president's executive order, insisting it is not aimed at Muslims. They must have short memories, having already forgotten Trump's campaign promise to ban all Muslims from entering the United States. Now they uh, want us to believe Mr. Trump has somehow lost his bigoted views and is purely concerned about our safety. Autocratic leaders from every time and every place uh, have conjured up enemies to distract the public from their naked lust for power. Trump and his cronies uh, have many of their enemies uh, on their enemies list, Muslims, the American media, Democrats, and most non-white minorities. The universe of alternative facts is alive and well in the Trump camp. That's uh, uh, Doug. Uh, I want to ask you uh, directly, um, I think implicit in your argument, um, Professor Reeve, is a characterization of this ban as a Muslim ban. Um, earlier in the program, Chairman Evans pushed back against that. What, what's your view? Is this a Muslim ban? I think it's a very thinly veiled Muslim ban. We have now Rudolf uh, Giuliani, who has uh, on the record uh, for Fox News stating that he was 
told by President Trump to find a way to ban Muslims. Uh, and then the White House has simply said that they're just doing what they promised to do in Trump's campaign, and what he promised to do was to ban Muslims. Uh, so it, And then you have acting uh, Attorney General Sally Yates, who said she did not find this executive order constitutional because the intent that Giuliani said was placed in the ban was to ban Muslims, and so how could she defend that? Uh, all of those add up to me that the administration itself has uh, admitted that this is a Muslim ban, even though now they uh, try to assure us that it's to protect our security. Uh, as far as I'm aware, there are, are, are no terrorist attacks from people from the banned countries. 9-11 uh, attacks, the, the countries of origin for those attackers were, were not included in the list. Mm. Uh, earlier in the program, uh, I at least it was implicit in my question, uh, characterized uh, the, the view of some that this is it's a clash of cultures, a clash of civilizations, and the, and uh, that and some are concerned that um, you know the, the cultures, the civilizations, the ideas, the religions won't they won't mesh. The melting pot isn't melting anymore, and and that's a reason why we need to be careful admitting um, you know, people from, from certain cultures, euphemism, I guess, for religion. Uh, and I think some of these same arguments were put forward uh, against Mormons. That's exactly right. Mormons were defined as un-American, uh, as, in fact, a step back into barbarism and savagery. They were defined as lawbreakers. One of the quotes that I shared in the op-ed, I find them a community of traitors, murderers, fanatics, and whores. And uh, there are reasons behind each of those descriptors. They don't just come out of thin air. Uh, obviously, Mormons had committed the Mountain Meadows Massacre, killed 120 people in Mountain Meadows in 1857. So it was quite common to then take from that specific instant and apply it to all Mormons. All Mormons are murderers. All Mormons are fanatics. All Mormons are traitors. And because of polygamy, Mormons are whores. So you understand, then, the way in which this rhetoric sounds very familiar from the 21st century back to the 19th century. And uh, Mormons, of all people, in my estimation, should be willing to step back and recognize that they have their own refugee experience, and they were defined as other, they were defined as un-American, they were defined as lawbreakers, they were defined as people who were unwelcome and were detractors from American democracy. Mm. If it can happen to you, then it can happen to anyone, and we are seeing it being applied to others. Uh, so my estimation is that it should provide context for acting out of empathy instead of out of fear. Uh, and that's a characterization that uh, some supporters of, of uh, the executive order are pushing back against. They, they're they're saying, well, it's, it need not be either or. Would, you know, we start with security, and, and then we can we can act out of empathy. But I want to uh, I want to talk about Mormon Republicans who voted for 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 candidate Trump, and and some of whom are supporting the executive uh, order. Um, and uh, I've had people come up to me and ask me, <laughs> how are how are these people squaring those uh, two ideas? Uh, I don't know if you've had any conversations like that with people. Well, they, they seem to come down on the side of security, obviously. Um, 
my response is I simply don't understand how this executive order helps on security grounds. It just doesn't add up to me in terms of uh, the location from where uh, terrorists have, have arrived. Uh, and so it seems like the vetting process has worked. Even if the Obama administration identified these countries as potential threats, they didn't do anything more to ban immigrants from coming from those countries. They simply increased the vetting process. What is not working? The Trump administration hasn't told us. Where are the threats coming in from these countries? It's never been made clear what additional measures are going to be put in place as a result. None of those details are bound up in what's currently going on and seems to be just we're acting out of a preponderance of fear rather than a rational kind of systematic process of thinking through this. As far as I can tell, our vetting process has been working from those countries. They have not attacked us. Mm. We just have a couple of minutes left, so a brief on this one, but I, I'm curious to get your take on this. Uh, I've heard uh, some characterize um, President Trump's victory and uh, and uh, some of his actions as being part of a, a resistance, a backlash to what has been, uh, characterized by the supporters, as an aspirational, multicultural uh, ethic. Uh, do you do you see it that way? And it, what do you think um, will happen in the, in the next four to eight years? Well, it it, it feels like uh, it's white nationalism is is what is kind of dominating uh, the Trump worldview. Uh, very much protectionist, very much closed borders, very much uh, simply uh, a white nationalist perspective. And so that that gives me great pause for what the next four years might hold. Mm. Oh, thank you uh, very much. Uh, Paul Reeve is professor and director of graduate studies in the history department at the University of Utah. He's also author of uh, books including uh, Religion of a Different Color. Hello. Uh, so uh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. And uh, thanks for your response to the program. Keep the comments coming at uh, upraxis at gmail.com. And thanks very much for listening to Access Utah today.